Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the salvation which we have by faith in Christ. Help us, Father, clearly to understand this and then to exercise the faith that saves. And we ask this for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. I have a black jacket that uh, I often wear and on it I've got a little badge. And the little badge just has two question marks. Uh, Often, in fact, often I've forgotten that I've got the badge on, but often people say to me, now that's an interesting badge. Uh, what What are the questions? And I say to them, I will tell you what the two questions are if you will give me your answer to those questions. Having gotten that agreed, I then say, here's the first question. Will you go to heaven when you die? That's all a bit confronting. However, people normally struggle to say, I hope so. Well, I say, well, here's the second one. Suppose you were to die tonight and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now, the normal answer is, I hope that I am good enough to get there. Now, depending on who they are, I then say, if I know them well, wrong! (laughs) Well, why is it wrong? If we look at this passage today, Romans chapter 3, verse 19 to 31, and I would encourage you to look it up if you can. It is a complicated passage, but it is probably the most significant passage in the Bible in some ways. Certainly, Martin Luther, the great reformer, thought that. There are two points that I want to make from this passage. One, God gave us the law. Why? To show us we are not righteous before God. That's the point of the law. That's why it has been given. Now, what the Apostle Paul has been doing as he's worked through Romans, he is saying, I want you to consider humanity standing before God. First of all, the pagan, or the Roman at that time, What he does is he looks around and he says, there is obviously a God. There is obviously a creator. I know. I will make up the God who is the creator. And in their case, it was Zeus. That's the one they made up. Now, making up your God can also mean you can make up the rules that your God wants you to keep. And so they did. And they allowed everything that you wanted to do. That's the first class. The second class is the moralist. That is the very fine Roman or the very fine Jew. They say, we not only know that there is a creator, but there is a law inside our hearts. So our conscience tells us what is right and our conscience tells us what is wrong. Therefore, what we do is 
we will obey our conscience. The difficulty is, even the best of them can't obey their conscience. This man is a man by the name of Seneca. He had a very high view of morality. However, not only did he not do all the right things, he obviously, sorry, he from time to time approved people who did the wrong things. Like, he approved the Emperor Nero murdering his mother. That's a good moral person. So, the moralist, no matter how high his views and values are, is also uh, sinful. Well, what about the Jew? Well, the Jew had God's revelation of the law. God actually told him what was right and told him what was wrong and at Mount Sinai, this is the summary of the law. Don't worship other gods. Don't make any idols. Don't misuse the name of God. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Honour your father and your mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. Once upon a time in every church building you had those set up. I don't know whether your eyes are good enough but if you look at the, up here in the front here you'll see that there are two uh, things missing. Well, one of those things used to have the Ten Commandments so that you'd never forget them. But the trouble is, although the Jew had those things and taught everybody else that this was the right thing to do, guess what? They broke the commandments. In other words, what the commandments have done is that shown that everyone has sinned before God. Now let me read you from verse 19 through to 20. Chapter 3 of Romans. Now we know that whatever the law says, whether it's the law shown in the commandments or the law shown in the person written on their hearts, whatever it says, it says to those who are under the law. Why? so that every mouth may be shut and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we have knowledge of our sin. Or, halfway through 22, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. All have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. God made us so that we would love him perfectly and love one another perfectly. That's the way God made us. The trouble is we don't do it. That glory of humankind has never been reached by any of us. We are meant to love our neighbour. We have sinned before God. We have learnt to love God with all our heart. We have sinned before God. This means that no one can boast their own righteousness before God. Verse 27 and verse 28. Where then 
is our boasting. It is excluded. We cannot boast our righteousness before God. We cannot be good enough. Now, I've probably told you this story before, but I'll tell it again because I think that this helps to illustrate it. When I was in my first position as an assistant minister, my job was to wear my clerical collar and go around on knock on everybody's door and ask them if they like to come to church. So that was my job. It was very hot and I'd been knocking on doors and not always been received well and knocked on this door where there was a lovely older lady who said, hello, what is your name? I said, my name is Reg Piper. So she said, Mr Piper, would you like a cup of tea? I said, I would love a cup of tea. So I was taken in and she sat me down and sent me a cup of tea, gave me a cup of tea. Now, in the conversation, which I was enjoying and so on, I thought, oh, I'd better be on my job. So I will say, has Christ died for your sins? This is the shortened form of the conversation. She said, well, Mr Piper, I don't sin. I said, oh, really? I said, you mean you've never done anything wrong? No, Mr Piper. Uh, I said, well, you mean you've never said anything wrong? No, Mr Piper. Uh, You mean you've never thought anything wrong? No, Mr Piper. I said, let's have another cup of tea. eh? (laughs) I'd given up by that stage. But the fact is we are not perfect, are we? We all know that. That's why the law is there to tell us that in case we keep on forgetting it all the time and to stop us from saying, look, we will be good enough and God will take us to heaven. That's the point of the law. Now, that's one thing. Now, here's the second point. God gave us Jesus Christ. Now, why? Well, he gave us Jesus Christ to provide his righteousness as he had always planned for the whole of eternity. What we see in verse 21 is this. But now, apart from the law, apart from those commandments, the righteousness of God has been made known to which all the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament kept on pointing forward to. Here is the righteousness which God has provided. He's always wanted to provide us righteousness freely and accept us and take us to himself if we'll trust him. This righteousness is for everyone. Chapter 3, I start from verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ To all who believe, there's no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified or declared righteous freely by his kindness, by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Greek, whether you're a Roman, whether you're Chinese, whether you're English, whether you're whatever, 
This is the only way. It's always been by faith. It has never been otherwise. This is what we have. By faith we are saved. All have sinned and all need to be saved. Now what Paul does is he then expounds that out a little bit in this particular uh, passage and there are three things that talks about the righteousness of the Christ who has died. Here is the first thing. He is the sacrifice of atonement. Verse 25 through to verse 27. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. If you were in Old Testament times, what you would do is you would take a lamb without blemish and take it to the temple and put it on the (coughs) altar You would lay your hand on the lamb as a sign of your transferring your sin to the lamb and you would kill the lamb and there would be blood everywhere. That is, what is happening is God must punish sin. So what he's doing is, if he's not going to punish us, he needs a substitute and the substitute in this case, the sign of the substitute was a lamb. Now a lamb can't take away sin. There had to be a lamb from God and that lamb from God was Jesus Christ so that when he dies on the cross that is where the lamb of God takes the punishment for our sin by his blood we are atoned. The word atonement was actually coined uh, by the Wycliffe people. That is we are at one with God because of the sacrifice Christ has made for us because the Lamb of God has been sacrificed for us so that we are now no longer guilty because we who deserve to be punished for our sin. If God's going to be just and says you've got to be righteous, then someone's got to suffer. Here we have a substitute in Christ who takes our sin upon himself. Now that's the first of the three words. Here's the second one. The second one is there is redemption. We don't often use that these days but it was certainly in day, uh, used well in the days of slaves. That is, they were enslaved, enslaved and they could be redeemed from their slavery. A ransom price could be paid so that they could be free. The ransom price is the death of Christ. We are then freed from having to put ourselves under that terrible, terrible burden of trying to strive to win God's approval by keeping the law. We're freed from that. We're freed, therefore, from the guilt of that. We don't have to go around with that guilt hanging over us all the time. It is a great freedom. Now, this man, Martin, whom I've just put up there, was the German great reformer. His name was, by birth, Martin Luder. 
In his great discovery of Christ dying for us so that we could be set free from the guilt and punishment of sin meant that freedom was a big thing for him. In the Greek New Testament, the word for freedom is eleutheros. Eleutheros. So what he did was he cut off the E in the front of it and cut off the OS at the end of it and he said, from now on my name will not be Martin Luther but Martin Luther. And so we know him now as Martin Luther so that every time he named his name, freedom would be seen. The final uh, word that I want to talk about is free righteousness. Martin Luther at that time was an Augustinian monk. That is, he was of the order of Augustine. Augustine Augustine used to use this illustration. He would say that when we stand before God in our own righteousness, it is as if we had filthy rags on. When we look to Christ, our guilt is taken away or, if you like to say it, the rags are taken off and we stand before God without sin. However, it's not just without sin. Because Christ is the righteous one, we are given his righteousness. It is just as if his white robe were wrapped around us and when God looks at us, he looks as upon us as Christ. That is, we have his righteousness. We are seen before God as sons and daughters of God as children of God. Now the question is, okay, that's fine. How do we receive this righteousness? Well, we receive that righteousness by faith. In chapter 3, verse 29 through to 31, this is how the Paul writes it. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there's only got one God who will justify or declare righteous the circumcised, that's the Jew by faith, and the uncircumcised, that's the Gentile, through the same faith. In other words, faith is the way that we are receiving the righteousness that God has provided. Friends, that is the glory of the gospel. That is the thing that changed the whole face of Europe uh, at that time that Martin Luther again could see that here is where we have the righteousness of God. Now, what I'm going to do here is I'm just now going to put up a prayer and I'm going to read it through and it's the sort of prayer that we would pray to take on the righteousness of Christ. I'll just let me read it through you, uh, for you first. Heavenly Father, thank you for wanting us to be your people. Thank you for giving us the law to show us we have sinned and to remove from us any boasting about our goodness. 
thank you for providing Jesus Christ to be our sacrifice of atonement, our way of being free, and our righteousness before you. I humbly receive Christ as your sacrifice for my sin, your way for my freedom, and your gift of my righteousness. Now, that's the sort of prayer that you would like to pray. Maybe you've prayed it before. Maybe you've sort of thought, oh, well, I've sort of prayed it, but haven't really prayed it. And you'd like to go over in ink what you've already done in pencil. This is your prayer. And if you've been in Christ, it's a good (coughs) prayer anyway. So let me invite you to pray this prayer. I'll ask for a reason. We'll just go back to the beginning. And let's pray this prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for wanting us to be your people. Thank you for giving us the law to show we have sinned and to remove from us any boasting about our goodness. Thank you for providing Jesus Christ to be our sacrifice of atonement, our way of being free and our righteousness before you. I humbly receive Christ as your sacrifice for my sin, your way for my freedom, and your gift of my righteousness. Amen. Shortly, we'll have the communion service, and basically we'll do that all over again by sign and symbol. Thank you.